So some of you were not here last week for me starting the book of James. I just want to say this. I talked specifically about endurance that produces maturity. That was last week. And I just want to build on this week, um, this, this time. Uh, maturity starts to remove some other behaviors from our life. And one of them I want to focus on today is excuses. How many of you have ever had somebody give you just lots of excuses? Lots of excuses. And I know some. there's a couple of teachers in the room, and I know this one. Have you ever had your parents give excuses for their kids? There's just excuses everywhere around. I just, as we do this, excuses have been around a long time, even biblically, right from the beginning. Eve blamed Adam, and Adam blamed the serpent, and nobody asked the serpent whose fault it was. But I'm sure that he would have given an excuse. The reason I'm talking like this is I want to make sure that we understand what maturity doesn't do and what it does do in our lives. I'm in James 1, 12 through 18 today, and I'd like to just start to talk about what that means as we do this. So, um, that is not James. Let me go to this one. There it is. So, as you hear this, um, I've been enjoying some of the most beautiful Greek that's in the New Testament. James is really quite elegant. But as we do this, I want to start to introduce some things that if you start to hear echoes of things that Jesus has said, make a note of it. Here's one of them. Blessed is the man who... Have you ever heard Jesus say anything like that in your life? Blessed is the one who's humble for they'll inherit the kingdom of God. When you hear James doing it, know that James is saying stuff that Jesus says, and he does this thing. So here's, here's almost a beatitude. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, this is not just any old crown. This is not the king's crown that you see that's all made out of gold. This is, um, that, that is a different word in the Greek. This, was, this is stephanos, which would be the wreath that, that you would likely see given out at Olympics where they would wear a, a laurel wreath. The reason why it's important that this is not necessarily a gold crown, as the old adage goes, gold in heaven is what? What do they use? Pavement. So you don't really want a pavement-made crown. You want a crown made out of life. And that's this one. This crown is made out of life so that when you don't, you don't put stuff that perishes in your life in charge of your life, you put your life and center it around life, which will exist and keep going. Now, what kind of life is this? Well, we need to make sure that as mature people, we understand what's going on. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now, you might even have just said this in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. I want to make sure that you understand that these are not separate thoughts. You're asking God to lead you in directions where you won't be tempted. 
But God doesn't tempt people to do things. And the reason why this is important is, is that people start by giving excuses like, well, I didn't have any choice. God made me do it. So it's just the way I am. And God made me. And it's not my fault. Or if you're Flip Wilson, as somebody said in the first service, the devil made me do it. Now, I'm sorry, I just dated myself just a little bit for Flip Wilson. Some of you might not know who that is, but I do. Yeah, some of us do. Yes, but here's why it's important to know that God doesn't tempt. He's not tempted, and he doesn't do the things that he doesn't want done. But... He's given us the chance to be tempted because he's after maturity. And maturity means that you have to make some choices and choose how you're going to live your life. Now, if you, if you choose badly, it might go badly for you, which the text then goes on to say. Let's see. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by their own desire then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So what's he saying here? Well, he's doing Romans 3.23a. The first half of that Romans 3.23 is the wages of sin is death. It's the exact same thing as you've heard me say in the past. When you have thoughts and you think about those thoughts for long enough, pretty soon you're going to do them. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying good or bad thoughts. What I'm saying is, is that if you think on something long enough, you're going to do it. If you think about bad stuff long enough, you're going to go, well, let's see what that's like. And then you're going to do it. Well, once you've done it uh, pretty soon and you still think about it, pretty soon you're going to have a habit instead of an action. You're going to have a bunch of them. And a habits sort of gather other habits that work together with it. And pretty soon you have a character Hey, George, I'm getting an, uh, a reverb here. Can you, can you uh, do something I'm picking up? Thanks. I think, is that better? Can you still hear me? Okay. Thanks, George. Any, anyway, so after a habit, then you get a character and a destiny. Well, that's what the scriptures here are saying about the bad stuff. What destiny are you getting when you tempt yourself, when you keep thinking about stuff, when you... When you habit search for the bad stuff, it's um, like a friend that used to used to smoke and he'd quit often, and he, but he always saved the ashtrays, right, for when he needed them again. Well, you're not going to quit when you're saving the ashtrays. You're making room for it. I hate to say that. It's okay. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. I don't think it's a very good thing for your temple to do. But, you know, maybe God's working on something bigger in your life than smoking. But if he's working on smoking, then make sure you don't make provision for, when, for going back. But he would save those ashtrays. And so then what he's doing is he's got this thought, well, I'm going to need those ashtrays. He even saved his cigarettes. You know, you might need those later. They cost money. But this is what this is going with. Then desire gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. Romans 3.23. How many of you know what my favorite Pauline word is, if I've said this enough times? But. If the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
right? The crown of life that's coming on. He's doing this whole Romans 3.23 here. Do not be deceived. Every good and gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. And I want to spend just a little bit of time on what it means to have good and perfect gifts come to you and through you. Have any of you ever had anything good happen to you in your life? Okay, that should be most everybody, right? You've had at least one good thing happen. And just one. <laughs> I'm getting kind of a kind of a giggle out of Larry here, so I, I'm wondering if he knows which one he's gonna pick. No, you're, you've had something good happen to you. And what this means is that every good thing that happens comes to you. And I want to make sure I say this. Every good thing in your life comes from God. But there's something else. Everything you do for the least of these, that's Matthew 25, you do for God. Did you catch that? Every good thing that's happened to you is from God. Every good thing you do for, for somebody else is for God, as though you're doing it for Jesus. And every good thing you do is for, from God for you on its way to somebody else. He's not tempted to evil, and all the good things that happen are from him. Now, you, you might choose to argue with him over that. But he's a great big God, and he can handle that argument. But here's what I know, is that if I'm doing um, Ephesians 2, then I want to make sure that I hear the whole thing in this light as well. That in the age to come, ages to come, he might show exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, if I'm a mighty fine fellow. Move aside, God. Here I come. Right? That's boasting. Right? Watch out for me, God. Here I come. I'm so good. You need to take care of me. That's not what this is about. This is recognizing blessed are the poor in spirit who know they can't earn this on their own. Blessed are those who stay in this battle for maturity is theirs. Blessed are those who are not tempted. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, let me go back to my thing. Every good thing in your life comes from God. Every good thing. Every good thing in your life that you do for somebody else, even the least of these, is for God, as this would say, prepared in advance that we should walk in it. Every good thing in your life is from God for you, on its way to whoever else you're going to do it for. This is an ethics for the kingdom. This isn't just what do we do now that we're saved. This is how now shall we live. 
We should do good works. We're created for those and we're not misled and we're not left behind and the good things and we start to recognize and see God at work in our lives and we start to do the stuff and see God at work in other people's lives and we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from above. From the Father of lights from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now you might think that his that God's reputation has been a little smudged by how many bad things we've done in the world. Well, he created it, and it's kind of gone awry, hasn't it? Here we are doing our own thing fairly regularly, trying to live without God. But I want to tell you this, that God's unchanging reputation has not been changed because of the things we've done, but rather because he was after maturity and not little puppets that just did whatever he wanted. He gave us the choice, and we made some bad choices, and through Jesus and the cross, fixed that. His reputation is firmly in hand. God has actually cleaned up the mess, if you will. Of his own will, he brought forth by the word of truth, you. He brought you forth by his own will, from the word of truth. Now, let's talk about this for a second, just as you understand what God is doing in the world. In Genesis 1, God speaks and stuff happens. The word of truth. He spoke and it happens and he brings forth and he gives birth. Now, this is a little funny language here and I want to make sure that you hear this just exactly right from the Greek. The father has given birth to you through the word of life. How many fathers here have given birth? Think about that for a second. That Elohim, the name for God, is plural. That, that our ideas of gender are very human. And God is outside of those boundaries a little bit. God is not a male. Male and female both carry his image in equal rights and all those things. They're just made in God's image. And now he has some male characteristics, but he is a, the oldest name we have for him is plural. Elohim is a plural word. And so while the Jews were often saying, God is one, God is holy, they were using a word that meant you're exactly like me. You need a drink, right? Is that what you're saying? Do you want to go get a drink? Okay. <laughs> she, I know she sits, you know, it's awesome. <laughs> I get that. That he is one and he is outside of our understanding. He is bigger or if you would like a hunting analogy, if you want to say God's a male, he's only the male God, I want to tell you that dog won't hunt. He is much bigger than just the Father God. Much bigger than that. Now, I'm not making any gender arguments here. I'm just not. What I'm saying is that all humans are made in his image, that he has given birth to us through this word of truth. Now, what is this word of truth? If we go from Genesis where he speaks in creation and he gives birth to creation through his word as he speaks, he also gives birth 
to our redemption through Jesus in John 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, you might have wondered as you read uh, John 1, 1, where's the genealogy of John? That's it. That's his genealogy. In the beginning, the Word was God, and the Word was God. And there wasn't anything that was created without him. That's Jesus. His genealogy he gives birth to us that way. But let me, let me, so if we do John 1 and we do that, what, and we follow John's thinking for a little bit, as Nicodemus comes to him by night and he starts to talk to him, and he's in John 3, and he says, no one can come to the Father unless they were born anew of flesh and of spirit or or if we're in John 4, there's coming a time that has now come, actually, where the Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. He has given birth to you by his word for a chance for you to be born and have a new life, to get the crown of life that does not pass, that doesn't go away. There's more. That we should be a kind of first fruits of all his creature. Some translations say that we would be his treasured possession. Says something to me about the offering plate sometimes. The first fruits, that offerings are first fruits, and a treasured possession is often considered the first fruits, the finest of all the things. But we're to give that to God. If you see something happening in James as we move on, I want to make sure that you hear that it's something that Jesus has been talking about. James isn't making this stuff up, hoping we didn't notice that he was original. If this is Jesus' brother, which a lot of commentators think James was written by Jesus' brother, I want to make sure you hear that he isn't making it up, that he grew up with this guy and didn't trust him initially. But then came in Acts 12, you can see his conversion. And he does this thing with the Beatitudes and with the Sermon on the Mount and with the Lord's Prayer. And he's talking about how now shall we live? That this God who has told us that if we, if we should not be blaming him for our own malfeasance. It's a great big word, right? No more excuses. Don't go blaming God for what you did. That whole sermon, this whole sermon's basically about that. Why don't we blame God for, for the things that we did? Because he made it possible for us to live and breathe and, and live in him. And every good thing you have comes from him. And you can sit here and go, but, but he made me do it. No. Stop the excuses for a moment. Stop making them and recognize that every thought that you've had, that, that you thought on for a while, became an action. So what do we do? Matthew 6.33 is where I would start. Seek him first. 
Think on that. Start having your actions planned out of that. Every good and perfect act, every good and perfect gift you have is from above. No one comes to the Father except through this way. I think there's more to say here, but I'm not sure that that there's time for me to say it. So I think I'll pause and, and pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for your help when we set our minds. We ask for your help when we act and need assistance. Help us as... Our leadership summit says, return to you quicker, Jesus. That that's a character that we want to be. So help us return. Help us focus on you. Help us abound in your spirit. In your precious name, amen.